If you want Colts talk all year long, you're in the right place. This is the official Colts podcast, giving you an updated look at what's new with the horseshoes. Gets off to Taylor. He's in. Touchdown. I-N-D-Y. Fires that way. Picked off. Darius Leonard at the five-yard line. Plants in the pocket. The Colts bring it down. A sack for Indianapolis. Steps up in the end zone. He throws. Michael Pittman. Touchdown. Let's get the podcast started. Let's do it. Casey Vallier, Lara Overton here today. I'm Matt Taylor. J.J. Stangovitz is still on vacation. Some R&R. Casey and Lara, how was your week off? Casey, what'd you get into? Oh, man, what didn't I get into? I mean, we did, uh, I think I've mentioned to this, we we did a holiday world, but we did it a very weird way. We went down one day. We were going to get a second day pass and decided, you know what, let's just go home. Then we kind of had remorse. We drove all the way home and decided to drive back the next day. So <laughs> two separate trips from Noblesville to Santa Claus, Indiana, but it was great. I mean, the kids had I – got, I got twins that are four, and, uh, and then um, well, my youngest is two. You know, they spent the entire time at the water park, so we were, you know, we're swimming and doing all that. I mean, it was a great time, but two separate trips up back and forth. I'm, I'm still a little worn out right now. You know, here we are. I'm probably five days removed from it. Little, uh, little tired and maybe hangry and all, all those words in, involved. But it was a great trip, that's for sure. So you spent like twelve hours in the car, <laughs> going yeah. to and from Holiday World in like a three day span. Yes, yes. So, so I mean, to be exact, we went down Wednesday night, stayed in Ferdinand, <laughs> went to the park Thursday, drove home Thursday night, got home at like one a.m. The kids woke up about ten o'clock Friday morning. My wife goes. We should have we should have stayed. So we called and said, "Hey, we've got a ticket from yesterday. Can we just show you that? Because they do like this. You know, if you go one day, they'll give you a half off on the next one." And they're like, "Sorry, you had to do that at the time." So we're like, "Oh, right, no big deal." So we went ahead and drove down, and we stayed in Lagodi, where I have family. Friday night, went to the went to the park on Saturday, stayed in Jasper Saturday night, and then drove back on Sunday. So essentially, from Wednesday to Sunday, it was. How do we get to Holiday World in some fashion, essentially? <laughs> you need a vacation from your vacation <laughs> Dude, after you're that. not kidding. You're not kidding. But, you know, it's funny. We, my wife and I actually have, we're doing like a like a river float this weekend, and it's just us. Oh, we got like It's like a group of like, you know, 15 of our friends, but it's like no kids. We're like, yes. you know, should we say we're going to go to the river float and then maybe I just go and do it by ourselves? And I just, just, or just go back to Holiday World. Right, or go back to Holiday World. Right. <laughs> yeah. Now, are you on like inflatables or are you in like... Like that's a, a, that's we a, were in like a, my husband and I did this, we were in like a canoe, and I decided that I wanted to, I wasn't a very experienced outdoors person, uh, that is no surprise to any of you guys, <laughs> but when we did this a few years ago, I decided I wanted to turn around, like I was sitting on the canoe, and I decided I wanted to face a different direction. And I didn't realize you couldn't do that. Yeah, so I like overturned oh, our yeah. probably kayak. probably got wet, didn't you? <laughs> Oh yeah, Dan got wet. He wasn't real pleased. I will We're, like, say this: chasing our beers that are floating down the river, you know, because the cooler. <laughs> At least they float. Yeah, right. I know. Uh, so yeah, it w- wasn't my best. I don't. He has not taken me canoeing since. <laughs> Maybe so that's why. Yeah. I don't know what raft we're using. I think typically it's just like an inner tube. Um, we did the canoe thing once, and I will say that is the best marriage counselors. If you are, if you just recently got married, <laughs> go get in a canoe with your, you know, new spouse. You're not real. 
going for about three hours. Yeah. Th- there was there was a time where I was like, our marriage is over. I'm <laughs> wanting to go this way. Oh yeah, we've said from from day one that that might have been the best marriage counseling we ever did was canoeing together. Because man, you want to really work as a team. You, you got to do it that way. So that was you know it's a good little lesson. I'll I'll give you so that's what, my free lesson. Yeah. What what river is this? White River up in Noblesville. I mean, that's it, where we started, and, yeah. and we ended up. We we floated all the way down to Broad Ripple. We got oh, there out. You go, we yeah. got oh, out. Wow. Like yeah. See, typically these guys, we just kind of start at like there's like a, a launch spot, and they go about a mile down the river. They have like a. We were a little ambitious. Okay, we we yeah, probably could is, have shortened ours. ours this was is like, very limited. We were float. like Gilligan's Island, you know. <laughs> I was like ginger. Like we'd like started out. I thought it was a three hour tour. There you it was go. Seven hours later, you know. So what's more difficult? We've washed Casey? up on the shore of the canal, yeah. you know, somewhere. Casey, what's more difficult? Chasing three kids around an amusement park oh. twice in three days, or Keeping track of a Dan Tucker all week, as Lara, <laughs> as Lara had to do. Oh, I mean, that's a good one right there. I mean, Lara, how was your week yeah, off? I'll with, let uh, Lara with, answer that one. You know what? DT has a big birthday coming up one week from today, so preparing to celebrate that. No, DT has to do a little more wrangling of the LO, if we're being honest. It was good. It does go both ways. Yeah, it was It was pretty low-key. I didn't do a whole lot. We went out to Geist for the third, stayed overnight, uh, stayed out there all day on the fourth, went on the boat with some friends and different things. And then um, actually last weekend, uh, the adventures of Lara, non-outdoors woman, continued (laughs) with the first ever Tucker Trek to camp uh, on family property. Yes, my my, uh, (laughs) husband's family has some property in Batesville. So, like any good trip that direction yeah. begins, we stopped at Skyline Chili. Oh, nice. Uh, and there's a La Rosa's pizza there, there as well. There is a La Rosa's. Yes. 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 Home of the Bulldogs. Uh, so, we, uh, we stopped at Skyline and then uh, spent some time with his great aunt, and he fished, and uh, we, we camped. And it was the first time we'd camped together. I hadn't camped uh, since a very unfortunate experience back in about, I don't know, 2008. And eight, 2007, 2008, not a good experience. Again, there was water involved. Like, I mean, again, there was a river well, float. Next I week's, need to stay away from Next this. week's question of the week will be, what happened last time Lara <laughs> camped? Right. We're going to tease that for the next podcast. Make well, you come back. The person I camped with, I no longer speak to. So that's oh, <laughs> there we go. There's that. a tease for oh, you. That way, you. Must have speaking, been bad. Speaking of Casey's, like, relationship <laughs> counseling. Right. Woo. Uh, yeah, we no, don't want no, to no. talk. It was... It was <laughs> No, it was very, very funny. Um, that would be the Colts podcast late night after hours. Uh, so Dan and I camped out together with the dog. So we all had this massive tent. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it was fun. It was a really good time. We built a, built a bonfire. Um, it, it's something you guys may not know about me. I have zero willpower when it comes to s'mores. Like it mm, is, really? it is. Mm. Oh, it is a, a weakness of mine. Oh, like mm, nice. No, like I am Joey Chestnut with s'mores. Like I will throw <laughs> wow. down. Yes, I mean it's like yeah, like the Homer Simpson eating donuts. Where just like no, mm, no, donuts. no, no. Like it's just tossing him in the back. So, so that's like me with s'mores. I mean I'm a bottomless pit. So I like gorged myself on s'mores and then passed out. And what color are the mallows for you? <laughs> 
What are color? you? Yeah, are oh, you like always a, just the white, like a brown? Oh, oh, or, I was. Or you like, like, crispy. There's some like, people what? like it really crispy. Like, white. You know? what, what are you doing? <laughs> oh no, I like. I want it to burn. Like okay, I want right. my, mine is is flaming okay. when I take it out of there, See, and I'm I do just a double. Barely charred. Oh no, you know? I like okay. them crisp, and I do double marshmallows per stack. Oh, I like two on there. Wow. I like it really gooey. Oh yeah, I'm a disaster out there. Like wow. Yeah. Yeah. My parents have they they've named this thing the best bite of anything ever is what they say. But they take a s'more and they put Reese cups uh, on the top. I've heard about this. It's pretty solid. That's I have a, heard about it's this. It's dangerous though because you get too much of that and you're like, man, well, you that's really, really filling. With yes, the peanut very, butter on there. Yeah, See, that very. would really hamper my you know nine to ten s'more. Yeah, the count quantity would go down. <laughs> yeah, right. And that's that's the most fun is just <laughs> as Lara said, just the gluttony of. Of uh, of s'mores right there. Yeah. So, you know, you, you know and my this... five year old. You and my five year old Lara could party. Well, yeah, because Molly she and I both popcorn, love popcorn. Popcorn, popcorn and again, s'mores. it's another. Yeah, <laughs> like I once came back from it. I was working an IU basketball game with a friend of mine. We came back to the house afterward, and I was like, I'm so hungry. My friend Colleen was like, Well, let's go to dinner. And Dan's like, Did you not eat all day? And he looks at Colleen and he goes, Let me guess. All she ate for, like, we were down there, I mean, all day. Like, we got down there at, like, 9, you know, game, everything after. We got home. At, like, probably, it was probably, like, you know, like a 10-hour day or something. He goes, let me guess. The whole thing, uh, the only thing she ate all day were, was Diet Coke and popcorn. Because the Assembly Hall popcorn is unmatched. Mm-hmm. And she's like, yeah, I think she had, like, three Diet Coke's three pretty boxes. good, too, there. I will take the leftover, like, I'll take the boxes if they're floating around the media room. Like, I have zero shame. <laughs> zero shame. Yeah. It's all coming full circle, this Sandlot love. You know, you got the dog, and now the s'mores. Yes! I, it all makes sense yes! now. I'm really getting it now, Lara. I get That's it. That's so true awesome. to think about that. Well, it's, oh good to, it's good to see both of you guys. You it as was, well. It was a long week. We were off for, you know, some of us were off, you know, 10, 10, 11 days, depending on uh, the time you took off before the 4th of July. So happy belated 4th of July. and. Training camp will be here before was yours, you know Matt? it. Matt? What'd you do? What'd I was you get good. Into? I was the you know, All American Week. You know, boating, swimming. Uh, took the kids to a theme park. Saw JJ at uh, Kings Island. Oh, there you go. Down in Cincinnati. So we did that for a day and uh, just you know took the kids to see a couple movies. So yeah, same kind of thing. Just was a dad on on uh, high demand for, go. for a good week. So it was a good week off. But we're talking some Colts football today. This is the official Colts podcast brought to you by WinBet. And training camp is just a few weeks away. It's going to start later on this month. All the info can be found online at colts.com slash camp regarding camp up at Grand Park. You can get the full schedule and all the practice dates. Uh, Download your free tickets. Again, colts.com slash camp. Big show today. We're going to hear from uh, Colts second-year defensive end Quiddy Pay. We'll talk to him about his involvement with the NFL Africa event earlier this summer which was a very, very cool initiative that the NFL put on to help grow the game internationally. So we'll talk with Quiddy a little bit later on about that. But first, we're going to talk about defensive position battles heading into training camp. Our last podcast, we broke down the offensive you know, viewpoint on some of the position battles. But we're going to start first with what I think, guys, is the, the biggest unknown on defense going into this camp in terms of personnel. And for me, Lara... It's all based on what are you laughing about? She's trying to get her paper in order over get there. Her, I was looking at our rundown office, from two weeks ago. I'm like, yeah, I'm all ready to go. I'm all like, what is she doing? She's got a big stack. Because I, well, I printed both of them together. I printed like two rundowns. I'm oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Cats. I'm still on a little holiday week. Sorry, I got a little. Cats. Yeah, I'm in a, Get the still, cobwebs out I'm here. In a, I'm in a post s'more coma over here. Sorry, I need a little more coffee. Yes. Here so we you're go. looking at the offensive sheet from two weeks ago. <laughs> no, we're talking about defense. So, Lara, to me, 
and I'll see if you you agree or not. But to me, the biggest and this this speaks to the continuity and just the the solid personnel you have on defense. Basically, on on that side of the ball within that unit, everything is solidified. I think outside of who plays that third corner spot when you go in the sub packages, primarily nickel situations, right? Because when you're in base, two corners on the field, you're going to have Stephon Gilmore and you're going to have Kenny Moore. But who's going to be that third corner when Kenny Moore bumps inside? Is it going to be Isaiah Rogers or is it going to be Brandon Faison? To me, that's the biggest camp battle on defense heading into this camp. You know what I think is what is such a a benefit or kind of a luxury at this point is like I don't really think you can go wrong either way like both come in with such strong skill sets and they're both so incredibly valuable and Faison has the familiarity with this defense so it is going to be intriguing to see how those reps are split over the course of training camps training camp I do give a slight edge to Isaiah Rogers just because we've seen more of him I can know what to expect and you feel like his ceiling is incredibly high one of the things in a lot of conversations with Rick Venturi about Isaiah Rogers and watching him over the first two years is that typically young corners are slightly hesitant at when they make that leap to the NFL from college football and Isaiah has this fantastic instinct like and he's just he's he's so quick I mean there's there's a lot there and then I think that he will greatly benefit from the new staff that you have in from you know from Gus Bradley all the way through your position group coaches of course Ron Milas leading your group of of that uh, corners and safeties but one stat that I saw yesterday that I noted Lowest passer rating allowed in coverage among second-year corners last year. Isaiah Rogers was fourth, which I thought was really impressive. Seventy-two point two, in like Trayvon Diggs was second at seventy point one. So I thought that that was that's elite company that he's alongside. Yeah. So that was Pro Football Focus Colts. PFF underscore Colts uh, that had that stat. So I feel like that there is a slight edge to Isaiah Rogers, but no surprise if it does end up being Brandon Faison. And what I love is that you have someone who's really going to push Isaiah Rogers, and he's someone who thrives in that competitive environment. Yeah. No, I completely agree. I think I kind of give the edge to Faison just because of the familiarity with Gus Bradley's mm-hmm. defense. But I think it's a great problem to have because I think you look at both that you three need depth and that four, position. You you're know that. very solid with both of those. And, and just like you said, I mean, Isaiah Rogers, the speed and his ball skills just give you just those wow plays that you just can't get from everybody else. But I think we would all agree that during OTAs, Brandon Faison played very, very well yeah. in the stuff that we saw. So that's why I kind of give him the slight edge. But I think it's going to be, just like Matt said, one of the most intriguing battles to watch when camp rolls around. Yeah, I, I, I give the edge to, to Isaiah Rogers. You know, I, I tend to agree more with Lara. But I don't think anybody's wrong here, which is what Lara started out her conversation with. Because – no matter who wins that job, the Colts are going to have a good player with even more depth at cornerback if the Colts do sustain injuries to right. either Brandon Faison or Isaiah Rogers. But Rogers just has that speed, that raw quickness that you just can't teach. He's never truly beat, and he's got the makeup speed, and he can close on the ball, and he's got good ball skills. I mean, speed is such a yeah. it's, it's such a mandate at that position. Now, Faison... He knows this defense like the back of his hand because he's played in it twice scheme-wise under Gus Bradley before with the Chargers and the Raiders. But I really like Rodgers because he has shown a tremendous growth from his rookie season 
and good for him, Larry, because he's a sixth round pick and. You know, we're thinking as a rookie, he's kind of pigeonholed. He's kind of a niche player. He's a good special teams return guy. But, man, he's become more than just viable playing defense at cornerback. It seemed like when he was in here, I mean, he's always had, like, that speed and that athleticism. But he looked like he'd even gotten a little bit stronger when he was here in in the spring. And Mm -hmm. I think that's going to be a great benefit, especially when you see this is kind of – he's getting into that pivotal time. you got two years under your belt. This is where you really want to start, you know, developing and being able to expand your game and your versatility. Let's talk about another position battle also in the secondary, and it's it's more of a position battle now because of Kari Willis's retirement, which happened towards the tail end of the offseason workout program during OTAs right before the minicamp started in early June. So, Casey, who's going to start now at safety? We talked about this. Jeffrey and I talked about it a little bit last week on The Last Word. Who Who's in line to start at safety and will one of those guys be Julian Blackman, at least at the beginning of the season? We saw he was a full go, not a full go, but he was at least a, a heavy participant during OTAs and the minicamp. Will Julian Blackman be out there at the beginning of the season? And if so, who will be who will he be playing next to? I think if we if we look at where he was just uh you know, just a month ago progress that on to September 11th in Houston, I can only imagine that Julian Blackman's going to be a full go and one of the guys there at safety. And if that's the case, you feel very, very good there. And I think Rodney McLeod is going to be, there's a reason they brought him in. He's a guy who is a bona fide starter in this league, has been their solid player for a long time. But I also think that Nick Cross gives you just, there. there's some intangibles there that really are intriguing. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I'm anxious to see how big of a role he's going to have as a rookie. I think the Julian Blackman injury will play into it a little bit, and also you know, just that rawness that he brings. I think you're going to see all three of those guys have pretty substantial roles throughout the season. Nick Cross is a dynamic playmaker. Oh, That's yeah. one of the things that we have heard that was reiterated when we talked to the scouts and those who spent time examining him um, and evaluating him coming out of Maryland. And that's exactly what you need at that position. And it's kind of, he's perfectly suited to step right into what Kari Willis has given you so consistently. I mean, they were, I mean, Nick Cross was a guy they were talking about that they would have liked to have had in the second round. Right. And so to get him where they did, they felt like was they really scored big. Now it's that opportunity for him to walk in and be an immediate contributor. It was funny because during uh, you know the the OTA minicamp period, we do all of the, a lot of the marketing shoots and you know the videos and photos and different things. And I was talking with one of the guys, and he's like, "You know who just looks like a football player." <laughs> Nick Cross, like that's a dude who walks. Casey Valley, he, he, yeah. like, but never he, in anything I play did I look like anything wins, I should be playing. He like. wins the eye test. Like that guy comes out of the tunnel, and you're like, don't want to get hit by that dude, you know, for sure. Like, I mean, you talk about the speed, the strength. I mean, just so many different things. Like, great tackler. Like, I mean, it's he is one of those guys who I think is going to. I think surprise a lot of people because there's been so much attention on, you know, Alec Pierce and Jelani Woods and Bernard Ryman and a lot of the offensive guys because you have 
what is Matt Ryan going to get? You know, who are Matt Ryan's weapons? What, you know, what's he going to have? There's been so much offseason talk. I think that this is a perfect opportunity for Nick Cross to start the season and really start to make the rest of the league take notice. And that could happen absolutely week one. I do think preseason is going to be big for him mm-hmm. to start getting some of those reps and getting comfort playing next to guys. But yeah, I also, I, it would not surprise me whatsoever that Julian Blackman is without hesitation when they set foot in Grand Park July. July 27th, right? July 27th yes. is that what we're talking about? Yes. Yeah. 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 Julian, I mean, because Julian, despite the severity of that injury, he's a guy who, he's, he's like Wolverine. He's like a freakish healer. Like, it's well, like just, you said, I'm really good at this. Yeah. I don't yeah. want to do it again, but I am good at this. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, he has proven that. I mean, I think we all were there, too, when he, when he made that jump. I know the media contingent was there, and he made a jump that was a full-on jump for a ball, and it was like... Wait a minute! You just you just tore your okay. Never mind. He landed just fine and right. seems to be running. So I mean, the guy has. I mean, he's a freak. That's what you want. You want a guy who heals like that and can be ready for for week one. I I would assume that Julian will be on the field. I mean, if if Nick Cross is by far the best safety option, if he plays that way during training camp, then absolutely you play him. But guys, what what do you think the Colts want? Just to have a hypothetical question regarding this topic what do the Colts want right now we haven't had a single training camp practice we haven't had a single preseason game none of that so it's all just based on paper and and resume at this point isn't it one month from tomorrow our first preseason game the 13th of August yeah correct. one month from tomorrow we'll right. be in wow. Buffalo guys oh well you guys will be yeah <laughs> But I gotta stay here. And <laughs> He's hosting the post game. That's show right. Tonight. I'll be. I'll be Somebody's on all night. Somebody's gotta hold it down. <laughs> but do the Colts want a, a veteran leader? That's Roddy McLeod. Yeah, a guy that's played or started 123 games at safety, and you want uh, experience, savviness. You play those two really important division games right out of the gate. You want to get off to a good start. That's been a problem for the franchise the last couple of years. Or is it baptism by fire? Play the guy who's probably going to be the long-term answer at safety and a guy that's not, and we talked about this last week on, on The Last Word, a guy that's not going to turn 21 until September, oozing with talent. What, what do the Colts want? What are you prioritizing going into the regular season? I do think that you put high emphasis on that veteran savvy and that experience with Rodney McLeod because you think about it, Julian Blackman hasn't played a game since, what, last November? Is that right? October, I think. October, okay. October. And then you're having a guy like Nick Cross who's coming in and he's playing his first season ever. So do you want to kind of balance those? It would, To me, there are going to be a lot of unknown if you put out Julian Blackman who you know hasn't yet had a full healthy season just because he had to start his rookie season late coming off of the ACL injury and right. then his second year was shortened so you may want the opportunity to ease him in a little bit and you want Nick Cross to maybe get some time next to a guy like a Rodney McLeod as you're working to bring him up and then you hope that you have those three guys kind of having various opportunities to move around. I think what you want, if you're the Colts, is you want to see that that, that selection at Nick Cross is ready to go. Yeah. I mean, I think in a perfect – I mean, you've got Rodney he, McLeod he, he there. Out, he outplays the fact that he hasn't ever appeared in 100%. a 100%. Yeah. I think that's what you're looking for. You you look and you want to make – you want to justify that selection because there was – that was one of those picks that was almost like a bonus. I mean, they traded back in because they're like, we've got an opportunity yeah. to get a guy that is – 
ready to go. You want to justify that, so I think that's what they want to see. And we traded up for him for a reason. Exactly. And I, so I think round. that's what yeah. you want to see. So in a perfect world, I think if you asked the staff, they would say, yes, week one, we want Julian Blackman and Nick Cross starting. But I don't think you're at all detriment if you have Rodney McLeod and Julian Blackman starting with Nick Cross getting a role, for sure. All right, position battle number three. Lara, who's in line to fill out the defensive line rotation? We know the starters, right? We've got Quiddy Pay. DeForest Buckner, all-pro player, Pro Bowl player, Grover Stewart, one of the more underrated nose tackles, defensive tackles in all football, and then Unique Ngakwe, who has 55-and-a-half career sacks, at least eight sacks in each of the last six seasons. But who's in line to fill out the depth along the defensive line? And I guess this is really not a, a position battle, which, again, I, I preface with at the beginning of this conversation, that the defense – in terms of the starters, it's it's pretty much ready to go. There's not a lot of uncertainty there. But who are the depth pieces that are going to fill out that eight-man rotation, if you will, that the Colts like to use along that defensive line? I think first and foremost, I go with Casey's laughing because I'm just like I'm like stretched <laughs> out here in the studio. Yeah, can we get you anything else? <laughs> exactly. I mean, we got foot uh, up and more. The parking I mean, lot's right there. Right there. Yeah, yeah, we can just we get can a fire pit going. <laughs> Uh, I, I think to me, like, it, it starts with, like, the guarantee is Dio Dangbo. Like, I, I just I, see, to me, he's that's a given. You're going to throw him in there. Um, I'm interested to see come training camp where Taekwon Lewis is in his injury recovery. He has spent an immense amount of time back in the training room. He has been diligent. He went back to North Carolina and did some workouts there for a couple of weeks, took one of the trainers, you know, with him to be able to work out and do some things, some individual work over there. So um, I know that he has put in an immense amount of time. I do think that Chris Ballard is really high on wanting to see Taekwon get that opportunity, and I think he's really working hard to be sure he is in that conversation. So, you know, those are those two. My biggest X factor is how does Ben Banigou walk into camp? What does he look like when he comes in? Where is he? Where is he working? Where does he fit within this scheme? Because last year at this time of year, we saw him – getting healthy reps in training camp, and then it just never really came to fruition come the season. So that's one of those guys who you're going to have a lot of competition with some newer guys, with some young guys who are there up front. So where does he fit into that conversation? I think that versatility between Dio and Taekwon really help in that depth because they yeah. can play kind of you know multiple positions on the line. And then I'm really intrigued with Chris Williams. He's a guy that mm-hmm. last year during camp showed some promise You know, because of the depth they had a year ago, there wasn't really too much opportunity for him to get a lot of play, mm-hmm. um, but some of those guys are gone. And then you got the youngsters and, and Curtis Brooks, and, and I'm really excited to see what him and Eric Johnson can bring. So th- there's there's quite a bit of depth there. I'm I'm in I'm interested to see kind of how it shuffles out because Taekwon and Dio really kind of they almost each are two different players because you can oh, play yeah. them inside and out so that that gives you a lot of versatility when it comes yeah, to the depth there. And, you know yeah. when you mentioned Curtis Brooks and Eric Johnson those were two guys who despite the fact that they're the younger guys among this conversation incredibly mature in yeah. conversations that we had with both of them didn't walk in giving you that sense of 
there was no like rookie presence about him. Like very mature, very poised, like coming in with with a little something to prove. Especially I know Curtis Brooks. That was a huge thing for him. Yeah. You know, he really wanted to to prove to people that he yeah wants to prove to people he belongs. Yeah, invited to the combine. So, I mean, yeah, and one of the things I mean, I remember talking. You know, listening to the I right now I'm blanking on the Cincinnati's head coach's name, um, Luke Fickle. Luke Fickle when he was talking about who the defensive MVP of their team was. He mentioned Curtis Brooks. They had a guy who was taken third overall, right? Sauce Gardner was third or fourth mm-hmm. overall, yeah. and he yeah. said Curtis Brooks. So there, there's something there that I'm really kind of anxious to see what happens when training camp rolls around with those Ooh, guys. K- Casey threw Sauce Gardner, which is, I feel like, a little uh, a little indication of a conversation we're going to have a little later, right? Some sauces? We are going to have a sauce conversation <laughs> coming oh, up in just okay. a little bit. <laughs> T-City. Well, nicely well, done. A little done. Easter egg. <laughs> yeah, right? All right, so that's a look at the top position battles on defense. We just talked about the defensive line, who fills out uh, and backs up players like DeForest Buckner and Unique Ngakwe. Uh, we talked about Pay a little bit as well. Um, and a few weeks ago, he took part in NFL Africa. He returned to his home continent for the first time since he was a, just a, a little infant and joined three other active NFL African players and three former African players. Uh, and they held a camp. It was held in Ghana, and it featured 40 players from across Africa. And the players who stood out were invited to the NFL's International Combine and the uh, excuse me, the NFL's International Pathway Program as well, and could earn an opportunity to attend the NFL Academy in London. So his story obviously is well chronicled uh, around draft time last year when the Colts picked him up in the first round. For those that forgot, he was born in Guinea after his mother fled her native country in Liberia during the Liberian Civil War. Uh, Pay, his mother and older brother, immigrated to Rhode Island about six months after Pay was born. And from there, uh, his mother just continued to make all kinds of sacrifices to get Quiddy recruited uh, to a football scholarship to Michigan. And that ultimately led him uh, to the NFL. And a few weeks ago, Lair and I talked with Quiddy about uh, this event, NFL Africa, how it came about for him and uh, his eagerness to jump at the chance to grow the game internationally. So take a listen. I think I'm very proud and in tune of where I come from, being Liberian and being African. So I felt like, I felt like the NFL Africa people, they felt as if, you know, um, that's somebody that we definitely need to take on the trip. And when they presented it to me, um, at first I can't lie, I was a little hesitant because I was like, oh, I'm kind of training or whatever, but the opportunity seemed so great that I couldn't pass up on it. So I'm, I'm so happy that I made that choice to go, and uh, it was a great experience. Of course, not only to further the game of football and to interact, be very hands-on in teaching these kids about the game itself, but how impactful was it to you because of your heritage to be able to go back and experience the culture itself? Uh, it was great to go back and really be with the people, um, to present different opportunities that they didn't know existed and to be with those younger kids when we were playing with them and whatnot. They were just so excited to learn more about the sport because they play soccer over there and um, soccer and like rugby and other sports like that. So American football was so new to them. Um, and you can just see how eager they were. They were having fun out there playing. And then with the older kids, they just saw the opportunity that football can present. You know, even if it's not playing in the NFL, they can do well enough to go get a free education somewhere. Someone wants to pay for their school to have them come play for their team. So 
yeah, no, it was just a great experience um, all around. How many days did you get to spend and what were those days like? How many of those were really doing kind of on field work and then how much of those were able to maybe tour around and experience the local culture or, you know, interact with the local people? I'm sure have some fantastic meals and different do different things like that. So I think the first three days or the first two days I was with the older guys that were we were looking for NFL prospects. So with the first camp day, we kind of walked them through the combine drills that they'd be doing and then our D-line work that we'd be doing before we go to one-on-ones and competing. So the first two days, that's kind of what we did. The second day was the live day. So that's when we jotted down all the times and uh, measurements and everything like that. And they got to, you know, compete, go at it for a little bit. And between, um, we did some cultural stuff. We went to Cape Coast. Um, where where the slaves were taken from Ghana, which was a big port um, in the trans- transatlantic slave trade. And um, we learned a lot about that. You know, it was great for us to experience that. Um, as we were walking through, there was a plaque on the wall that said Michelle Obama and Barack Obama had went to visit it because they figured out that that's where their um, ancestors were from. Oh, wow. And... They had to, they felt the need to go back and, you know, um, learn about where they're from. And, yeah, no, it was, it was just, it was a great experience all around. Hey, Quiddy, I know this was your, your first time back in Africa since your mother made those, those great sacrifices to move your family here to the United States. How was that for you in terms of emotions and feelings, knowing what she went through to help make this life possible? Um, it was it was great to be back in West Africa and to you know be with the people, but um, I think I'll really feel it, like really feel connected and um, emotional when I go back to Liberia, where a lot of my family are at. I didn't really get to know. Um, one of my cousins was there. One of our family friends was was there. Who mm-hmm. kind of he lives in Ghana now because during the war, a lot of the people from Liberia spread across West Africa. And that's where they kind of rooted down, and that's where they live. So he came up for the last day for the NFL uh, fan zone event, and I was able to connect with him. And then um, his mom, I was able to connect with her, and um, it was it was great. But I feel like once I go back to Liberia, that's when I really feel, you know, I feel emotional. And I feel uh, I'm bring my mom with me. It's, it'll, it'll be a great time. Doing research on the NFL Africa program looked up that it's really interesting more than a hundred players of african descent that's either born in africa or first generation born in the u.s that's a huge number a huge figure for those playing within the nfl and one of the guys who you were participating in this program with is a guy with indianapolis ties went to cathedral matthias kiwanuka won super bowls with the giants how much of this is a testament to the investment that the nfl is making in not only growing the game but also making sure that that active players are able to have connections not just with the teams with the organizations they're currently playing in in those communities, but also with the communities of their heritage as well. Yeah, I, I applaud the NFL for doing something like this, allowing us to go back and represent the country, you know, and for them to recognize how many African players they have in the league. Um, and, you know, just to try to give other people an opportunity to kind of ha- live the way how we're living, playing a game that we love and, you know, presenting different opportunities. Um 
And yeah, um, it's it was great for us to all go back, and I feel like it's gonna make a lot more Africans be proud of who you are. Um, we was having conversations on the trip um, of growing up, and a lot of us were saying, "Yeah, growing up, everyone didn't want to be African. They were making fun of Africans, and they, you know, it wasn't the most popular thing to to be African. But now, a lot more people are trying to, you know, learn where they're from, learn their roots." Um, a lot more Africans in the league now. I wear my Liberian uh, uh, culture on my sleeve. Um, everybody knows I'm Liberian. I feel like a lot more people are tapping into their culture and, you know, presenting it to the world. And that's that's what we really want. And I feel like the NFL is doing a great job of, you know, trying to respect that. It seems like you had just so many incredible experiences over there. Was there one interaction or one relationship in particular that really was the, the most impactful or something that really resonated with you that, that you carry with you now as you've kind of come back and you're starting to get into more of your routine before you turn your focus to training camp and getting into the season? You know what? Um, it was actually after the camp days. Um, we had – we had a good experience with the campers. We knew a lot of them came from not best, not the best backgrounds, kind of struggling and whatnot. But it was actually when I was leaving the airport, um, I was kind of having trouble, trouble getting through, and there was something wrong with my passport or uh, my ticket or something like that. So we're trying to figure it out. And there was a guy that worked at the airport, and he was just helping me out, and like I had a wrap some stuff and he was paying for a lot of the stuff for me to get through and I didn't really ask him to do that um but he was able to do it anyways and then we were just chatting we we're just talking it up and then he was like yeah no it's very hard here in um Africa and Ghana you know a lot of like and their money is seven dollars to our one dollar so it's very hard for them so some of them make only like 26 cents a day and that really um resonated with me and that's when I was there, I really wanted to go and go back and um, start my own academy, start to help my own people in Liberia. And speaking with some of the people there, I, I initially wanted to go back and do food drives and give back clothes or whatever. But then they were like, go there and ask the people what they actually need. Most of them don't really need clothes and food. They need schools, they need hospitals, they need teachers, they need educators, they need people to uplift the country in a way, not just giving them handouts because you give them handouts, they'll run out and then they'll need more. They need a way to provide for themselves. And that kind of changed my perspective on how I can help and what I want to do in the future. That's incredible perspective and so impactful to hear of those experiences and how that motivated you and being able to see that firsthand. How grateful did that just reinforce? I know that you always are, but for those sacrifices that your mom made for your family coming to the States to create the opportunity and then hopefully to help open the eyes eventually of those whose lives you impact through going back and just creating those further opportunities that you hope that they can have as well. Yeah, it was, it was very, I feel like it's very important for me to go on this trip, even though I'm not from Ghana, it was important for me to see how they were really living. Because my mom has told me stories, but I never really got to see firsthand of how hard it is. You know, we just hear the stories of it was hard, it was hard. Tell me a little bit, and I would feel it, but it wasn't really. I didn't see it. Once you get to see, once you get to live with it, then right, right. you can like you can really understand. So, for me to see that, you know, I just applaud every time I see something like that. I just applaud my mom even more because 
she was doing it in the thick of it in the middle of a civil war with two children and really struggling. So I just have even more respect for her. And every time I, I just want to take care of her um, a little bit more every time I uh, see stuff like that. Quiddy, I know that you know this is going to be a, a tough question to answer because you know, like you said, you went back to Africa for the first time not that long ago. But you know, from from where you're from, your roots, you know, from Liberia, uh, you know, the president is a former soccer star. Obviously, you know, the the continent of Africa really, really big into soccer in terms of athletics. Where where does football rank? How popular, I should say, is football in Africa? Where does it rank compared to soccer, and how are you seeing the game grow? So American football is really non-existent in West Africa. I feel like um, they're trying to. Um, that's why I applaud the NFL for trying to do something like this to mm-hmm. expand the game and get more people to know about the sport because it's a different route, uh, better their family's lives. So I applaud the NFL for doing that, and I feel as if when I do stuff in Liberia. A lot of them would want to do soccer, and I could open, I can try to do a soccer academy or something along those lines. But I definitely want to present different opportunities because if soccer doesn't work or if people are not really good at soccer, they could try a different sport or try another sport. Just try to broaden the horizon as far as like what people can actually do. Um, and with OC, he he had a couple of academies in the UK and. That's where a lot of the, the kids that we chose from the camp that we felt as if had the most potential, sent them to the academy, let them learn more about the game so then they can, you know, come to the States, either go to college here or go through the international player uh, pathway through mm-hmm. the NFL. I was just going to say, that's what's really interesting, Quiddy, until we got into this conversation. I didn't realize how much you guys were doing from a scouting perspective right, yeah, of those who are yeah. heavily involved already in football and the tie with the International Player Pathway Program. I thought it was just more so young kids camp introducing them to the game itself with the, the fundamentals, the elementary level of football. So that's incredibly interesting to me. I think from the perspective of, one, evaluating those guys who are at a very competitive level, what stood out? about the caliber of talent that you were able to scout and view? And then for the youngsters, what did you notice about them? What did they pick up on really quickly? Or just what did they enjoy so much about the games when you are inter- when you are uh, interacting with two opposite ends kind of of the spe- spectrum, those who are just learning the game and then those who have had some times and who show great potential in it? So for us, the first thing that stood out to me off the bat was as we were presenting as we were presenting, um, as we were going through the first day, introducing ourselves to the to the prospects, I'm looking around the room. I'm like, the average height in here is like six five. <laughs> like they're all ex- extremely good size. Like there was there were uh, a 17 year old kid named Clinton who we thought we had great potential. I think we'll try to get him into the um, into the academy. Right. Um, he was like six ten, like really long arms. And I'm like, all right, so all these kids have really good size. We got on the field, and then we're seeing 11-foot broad jumps. We're seeing 38-inch verticals. And I'm just like, all these kids have extreme amount of potential. Like, mm-hmm. you get them to play the game like, for enough time, like, like it's going to be crazy. And um, I can see a lot, a lot of defensive ends and whatnot coming through because <laughs> they're all twitchy. Yeah. They're all explosive. They're all aggressive, long arms like everything that you want on a defensive end, that's what I saw all at the camp. So I was really excited to 
see how see how they progress. I know it's very new. It's a very new sport to them, but they were picking it up well, and they're very attentive, and they were trying to pick up all that they could. And then with the kids, um, the NFL is trying to grow the game more, and you know, start at the younger level so they can grow up playing it. So then when they get to that age when when they start jumping the 38 inch verts, they can already have knowledge of the game. And, you know, once they start to get really explosive and uh, whatnot, they'll, they'll be uh, Mm -hmm. well off. Hey, Quiddy, last one for me. I know, you know, it's a long trip. Uh, It takes a lot out of you and you're gearing up for the start of training camp. What's the rest of your summer look like? How are you balancing, you know, getting these last couple of weeks in terms of rest and relaxation and, and making sure you're enjoying the summer before the grind starts, but also, you know, working out, making sure that you hit the ground running at the start of camp in Westfield at Grand Park. Just what does the rest of your summer in terms of training and balance look like the rest of the way? So I'm actually out here in Oklahoma. Um, I was training before I went to Ghana because I didn't want to um, go to Ghana and then come back and try to get into shape. So I was training before, like right after OTs was over, I was training on Monday and um, trained a week and then I went to Ghana for a week out there and then once I came back today back to training so try to get it in as much as I can out here in Oklahoma with Buck and uh, Ben Banigou and you know a couple of other NFL guys across um, the NFL Mm -hmm. and yeah just 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 trying to hit it just trying to come back into camp in full and great shape and you know try to have a great year this year um being really attentive in my technique and I have all the physical traits is just I have to just bump it up just a, a little bit as far as what I'm looking at plan and just being prepared. How much more comfortable are you? I mean, uh, going into year two, I mean, this is, this is old hat now compared to where you were a year ago. Yeah. I'm way more comfortable. Um, even towards the end of last year, I started to get super comfortable. That's why I felt like I was really hitting my stride. Yeah. End of last year when I went on that little run with um, all those sacks. But just watching film this year, I'm, I'm like, I can't wait to get back on the field <laughs> because, like, just just how just how I was in OTAs from this year and last year, I could just feel the difference, and I'm ready to make that big year two jump, and it's it's going to be crazy. Indeed. Hey, thanks so much for the time. It's great to talk to you. Really appreciate you shedding some light on your trip. NFL Africa and everything they're trying to do to grow the game uh, internationally. Quiddy, thanks again, and uh, best of luck the rest of the summer, and we'll see you soon up at Grand Park. Thank you guys for having me. That's Quiddy Pay, a conversation from a few weeks ago Lair Overton and I had and his involvement with uh, NFL Africa. And when you hear that conversation, Lara, he's just – I mean, it's the off-season for him. He could be doing a million different things. He could get, be getting his mind right, his body right for camp, and he is doing those things. But he doesn't have to do what he just did in terms of going halfway across the world to help you know, grow the game and to give back. He's beyond mature. He's beyond wise for someone that's 22, 23 years old. And like we talked about a few weeks ago, I think he's in a position to take the biggest leap production-wise from 2021 to 2022 on this defense because of just that natural growth and the presence of DeForest Buckner and Unique Ngakwe. Completely agree. And also the fact that, you know, he has been candid a little bit more so this offseason about how much that hamstring injury hampered him over the course of this season. That was, I believe, week three uh, where he he, uh, sustained that kind of injury. And although he played through it, it was nagging for a good part of the season, finally started coming on on the latter part of the season. And 
when you mention obviously spending the time training, you know, physically and getting, you know, getting his body ready to make that leap that we anticipate, he's also a guy who stays sharp by doing a wealth of other things and giving back and helping to, you know, share his story. And, you know, as he mentioned, use, you know, football as a platform to help other people gain the opportunities that he has been able to find. He has just such a passion for that. And it is so cool to see him so quickly embrace this opportunity that he has had, not just within the Indianapolis community, not just, you know, with his hometown in Rhode Island and, you know, with the University of Michigan community that he often goes back and does things up there as well. But this is an international experience that he is having. And yeah, he is just all around like a fascinating figure and an incredible human being. Oh, also He's a hell of a football player. And so it's just, I mean, he is one of those guys who I I find, like, he's going to be, like, this global ambassador for the game and someone who I think, you know, you certainly anticipate he'll have immense success on the football field for a long, long time. But even after that, will continue to be someone who uh, has a great impact Mm -hmm. beyond football. Well said right there. Thanks to Quiddy Pay for giving us his time in the offseason when he doesn't have to, but it was good catching up with him, and we'll see he and his uh, defensive mates in a couple weeks up at Grand Park for the start of training camp, which will begin on July 27th as the first day of practice up at Grand Park noon. And again, for all the information on campcolts.com slash camp. Let's go to the mailbag real quick. Here's the mail. It never fails. It makes me want to wag my tail. When it comes, I want to will. All right, the mailbag submission this week comes from Terry Nance on Twitter. Do you think we'll see Mike Strawn get involved this year? That answer is yes. Has there been any word about him running with the ones? Casey Vallier, just what do you think in terms of the upside on Mike Strawn? We've talked about this basically all offseason long, but it's a good question in terms of him running with Matt Ryan. Do you think we'll see him early on with the first-team offense? Up at Grand Park, uh, it's I mean it's definitely possible. It's one of those things that I think this is going to be the ongoing discussion because it's been talked about at nauseum now from the outside media. When you look at this receiver group, it's so young and it's there's really nothing. You look at paper and there's not much there on what they've done because of the youth. So there's a lot of room for guys to make jumps, and one of those guys is Mike Strawn because you know you look at Michael Pittman, who's definitely a bona fide guy. You saw what he did last year. You only anticipate him to continue to make jumps. They did, you know, select Alec Pierce with a, with a high draft choice there in the second round. So you, you expect him to be a major point of this offense. But then you have, you know, a, a whole bunch of guys that are kind of fighting for other other spots. I mean, Paris Campbell, we know the injury history. If he can stay healthy, there's a lot of, you know, promise there. But Mike Strawn's definitely in that mix. So it'll be very interesting to see how he's utilized because he has some intangibles that just other guys don't. I mean, he's got the size. And when it comes to that red zone, I mean, he could be so big in red zone opportunities. So mm-hmm. it may not be one of those things you look at him and go, he's definitely getting first team reps. It's kind of where are he get, where is he getting his reps? And that's where I am anxious to see what happens at Grand Park. You read my mind. That's exactly what I was going to say. Is it's situationally yeah. where is he coming in? Where is he mixing in? Right. 
among that rotation of Pierce, Pittman, Paris Campbell, Ashton Doolin, kind of where is he weaving his way in? Because you do need, you need that presence yeah. in the end zone, you know, and I think that he has the opportunity. He's a guy who is perfectly suited to win the one-on-one, right? You know, I mean, like right. just think about the red zone height that Matt Ryan could, I mean, he could literally just throw the ball up and you've got what, five guys over six foot five. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, and that, With uh, that's, Ogletree and yeah, Woods I mean, that is wild. Cox. I mean, man, that's that's got to be one of those things that yeah. Frank Reich is just like, I cannot wait till we get to the ten, and here right. we go. <laughs> right, I mean, Fades if there's here if, we go. If, if we're signing anybody up for a three on three tournament. Oh, I, I know, right? I, all day. Is, does Gus Macker still exist? I've, Can I do a Gus Macker. I asked tournament? that a while back because we were watching. I was like, man, could you imagine what this basketball team would look like? I was like, is there a Gus Macker going on? And there were a couple of people looked at me like, what are you talking about? I was like, man, I love Gus Macker. Oh yeah. To dominate in some parking lot at IUPUI, exactly. man. Come home with a couple of knee scrapes. I never really did the domination, but I would watch others dominate. That's well, for sure. The question is, do you think we'll see Strawn get involved this year? I think the answer is yes. Yeah. And in terms of being involved, I want to see just how involved or lack thereof uh, he is on special teams. Yeah, yeah. that's going to be key. If he's going to make the team, he's got to play on yes, teams. Yes, he does, yeah. And from what I can remember, maybe you guys can help me fill in the gaps a little bit, but we just didn't see his involvement a ton last year in camp in the preseason on teams. No, you did not. So that that's definitely – I mean, that we, we saw that early on. That was part of – you know, he made the initial 53 last year. He actually caught the first pass of the season, mm-hmm. and then you saw everything kind of – you know, his, his role was, you know, decreased a little bit, but you didn't see him get on the field, and a lot of that was because of – you know, the lack of special teams play. So, right. well, yeah. One of the things that's going to be most intriguing, and hopefully we learn this when the vets report to camp, is in this time that Matt Ryan has spent with the different little uh-huh. clusters of receivers going all across the country to do so, how much time did he get with Michael Strawn? Did he get time with Michael Strawn? How beneficial was it? What did Matt Ryan see? Because you right. know there's going to be a conversation between, you know, Frank Reich and Marcus Brady and Matt Ryan and Matt's going to have you know this Matt is as thorough of a guy as there is out there he's going to kind of have a report on like what each of these sessions were like so I think that is to me the big question that's out there is what chemistry has he been able to build with his quarterback with a new quarterback because he's a completely different guy than what Strom was working with last year in the time that he did have with Carson Wentz early on in the year I mean bottom line what it all boils down to if you're going to be the fifth or sixth wide receiver on this team in this offense, you got to play on teams. Yeah, you have to. I mean, you just have to be able to do that. So yeah, it's how Demichael Harris and right. Ashton, Ashton Doolin, Doolin. Have... Ashton Doolin, Zach Pascal. I mean, we've yeah. seen that. That's kind of how these guys kind of make their mark. So that's right. definitely a, 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 a path for sure that he has to get involved. Absolutely. All right. Thank you, Terry Nance, for the submission on the Twitter question of the week. Let's go to my random thought of the week, and it's scary, guys. So this this. Of course, just randomly popped in my head over the 4th of July. Shocker. Something randomly popped into Matt's head. Right. (laughs) So it's a big, like, grill-out day. Like, we've talked about this. Hot dogs, hamburgers. And with those types of foods, you want condiments. You want ketchup. You want mustard. You want relish, right? Mayo, whatever. Have you ever been to a restaurant and they give you cold condiments? No. So why do we put condiments at home in the refrigerator? Brilliant question. Do you like your condiments room temperature 
or refrigerator cold. So it's so funny because, like, for me, I'm not a like. This is this is where my pickiness really gets me. Like, I don't do mustard, I don't do mayo, I don't do relish, I don't do sour cream. I, so I'm very limited on the condiments that I do use. But like ketchup, I put my ketchup in the fridge. But I'm thinking about that. I go to a restaurant, it sits out. But one thing that I don't like is I go somewhere and you get like, let's say you get a cheeseburger and you get ketchup on it. And sometimes the ketchup is like really hot. And you're like, I just wish I would prefer to just put room temperature ketchup on it. But that's a great point. Why do we put it in the fridge? Like, I don't understand like if you go it. If you go to a burger place or a casual restaurant, yeah, let's say, just there's there. condiments on the table. Yeah, they're all sitting there. And they're there. at room temperature. Right. Now, I know some of those places, like they put them in the fridge the night before and they bring them out. That morning and put it, but it's still there for twelve to fifteen hours. So I don't know what that. I it doesn't make any sense. To we me. need to. I need to phone a friend and get Norma Overton on this conversation. Who? Because my grandma, hey, Norma. Nor- Norma. Norma, Norma, Norma Overton. Norma That's has wonderful. very strong feelings about this because <laughs> we. Hold on. What's her number? Eight. Eight one two. Eight one two. So I remember uh, we went through the drive thru Yeah, Norma. Yeah. Uh, Norma and I went through the drive thru when I was younger. And uh, sh- we were getting fast food to take home. Okay. So we, I mean, we were getting fast food, but we knew, I mean, five minutes away from us. Right. And she's like, French fries. She, you know, we ordered whatever. She's like, French fries and lots of ketchup. Do you need ketchup? Yes, lots of ketchup. They give her the ketchup. More ketchup, right? And the packets. So, cause, yes, the packets. And so the packets my are grandma warm. Is yes, also they are warm. Yes. yes. My grandma is also a very strong Southern woman, so she is um, very insistent on how she likes her services, you know? Uh, so I'm like, why? You have... We have ketchup at home. Why do you need all this ketchup? And she's like, I can't do cold ketchup on hot fries. Thank you. She Thank ca- you. She hates it. She Thank can't. You. She does not want, because your fries are hot, she doesn't yeah. want them to be cooled off by the cold condiments. So I was like, oh my gosh, I've never thought of this. And then like ever since then, I'm like, if I'm ever picking up food for her, I've got to get this, all the condiments. This is how it popped in my head is because my wife wants to put everything in the refrigerator, like barbecue sauce. I'm like, when this, when you use these things- the food in which you're using them on is hot. You've cooked it or you've grilled it. Why do you want to put cold on the hot? Because unless on the bottle making, it wait, says refrigerator so, after. Hold on. After no, you're open. not always putting I, I really, it on hot I really things. don't think you need to do Oh, that. I agree with you. I think people just read it and how go, many, oh, I many, have to do How this. many people are yelling but, at their podcast right now saying, <laughs> hold oh, on. if you don't I, refrigerate I gotta, I'm throwing a challenge flag right now. Okay, not go. always is it hot because what if you make like a turkey sandwich and you put like a mustard or a mayo, then it's cold. Your turkey, your turkey That's is cold. That's a good point. Like a sandwich, yeah, you've got may I get that. Or a ham sandwich or something. Right. I, I see what you mean, but I just think generally speaking. I mean, I, do I, you want hot Miracle Whip? Ooh, ooh, I don't I, think I, I do. I do not like <laughs> cold condiments. There is a, um, a a cabinet in our in our kitchen where it's just my condiments. I have your own. I have my own condiments. <laughs> I they have, go to the store, Matt. Do you I need feel ketchup? Like we need I have a, a, we thing. Need a we don't need ketchup. We need but a breakout. <laughs> we need a breakout podcast. It's like relationship conversation. Man, yeah, <laughs> this has been good. And, and why do all my random thoughts consume They're all food. food? All food. That's what I was about to say that. That literally every one of your random thoughts have been about food. Most Matt. of them. Most of them. Yes. There is a theme here. But yes, I, in my cabinet, I have my own mustard. My own barbecue sauce, <laughs> two or three barbecue sauces. Ketchup has to be. Ketchup is non-negotiable. Interesting. It has to be room temperature. That's funny because I I don't dislike room temperature ketchup, but I don't even think about it that I always put it in the fridge. But if and you, now if I'm you thinking go, about it, I'm probably going to take it out. If you go to dip warm fries with cold ketchup, oh, yeah. I, I might as well just stay hungry. <laughs>
Me, you know what my me mom, and Norma are hanging out. Yeah, you and Norma would get along grand. You know what my mom, <laughs> speaking of condiments, my mom used to, she doesn't do so much anymore, she likes to dip her potato chips in ketchup. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Oh, you really good. Yeah. I mean, it's potato, good. Ketchup, yeah. good. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, but, but, you see, know, I, it's it, they're, they're again, they're like room temperature. Yeah, see, I, I like a good, yeah. like, see, I'm weird with some chips. Like, if I get ruffles, I have to have baked beans. Ruffles and baked beans. Oh, it'll change your life. It'll change your life. You it scoop is. baked beans with oh, the chip? Oh, yeah, with the chip. Oh, okay. oh, it's so, oh it's, it's so funny. Like, my mother-in-law. Never would have thought If we that. ever have either either pork and beans or baked beans, we, you know, we Sometimes you got a little pork in there or whatever. If we have any of those, she's always like, I made sure I picked up your ruffles, too, so that you can. And I was like, thank oh, you. Hilarious. Oh, that is that is one of my weird quirks is I have to have baked beans with some ruffles. Ooh, that is good. I though. wonder what the big guy, what would Jim Ursay say about our condiment debate? We can ask him coming up because his collection is going up to Chicago on August the 2nd. How about that for a tease oh, or a transition? That's pretty solid. The Jim Irsay Collection is also coming to Indianapolis. The collection will make a stop at Lucas Oil Stadium September 9th and 10th. The event will be open to the public. Tickets are free. Let me repeat that. Tickets are free, but you do have to have uh, advanced registration. You have to pick up a free ticket in advance. You can do that online. You can follow the Jim Irsay Collection on Facebook and Twitter for all the details as the event gets closer, and it's going to be fantastic. I Any mean, questions on the Irsay Collection? You know who those can go to? Jeffrey Gorman would be eager to answer those for you because, you know, Jeffrey has been working yes. on this a lot and traveling around. And it is it's the Gorman's birthday. birthday. Happy birthday, birthday Gorman. They say it's your birthday. You know, when, when you hear that it's free and the amount of stuff that's going to be there. It's oh, yeah. incredible. And then, and then I don't know if you heard uh, Matt Taylor and Jeffrey Gorman's tease was it last week or the week I before on the There's last word of some new? of the people that oh, could yeah. be joining the band? Um, I would I would suggest you go out and get your tickets for this event. I just hope they all show up. I do too. But <laughs> I mean, he's he, I mean, who's coming to him? Chicago. It's, um, Ann Wilson of uh, Ann Wilson. I mean, uh, are you kidding me? There's there's From people Hart? there's people that I think I know that I'm not allowed to say because it hasn't been. Uh, confirmed just yet right. for the event in Chicago. Same thing with the event here in Indianapolis. Once those things are finalized, they'll come out. But the potential list of, of stars that could play with the Jim Ursay Collection Band is just astounding, oh. especially if you like music, which yes. we all do yes. in this room. Uh, it, the fact that it's free, once in a lifetime, to see those people on stage together all at the same time, man, it's pretty remarkable. That's unreal. I mean, I, I'm definitely going to be there for both days. To see it, I mean, because it's one of those things that I might want to just soak it in just me and mm -hmm. then take the family and, you know, hey, this is what I saw yesterday, but that's that's my, that's me. I don't know about you guys. Well, if you survive the river, then <laughs> you can come to the Jim Ursay <laughs> band. Back if, on this, yeah. yeah. If you guys are still, if you're still talking still to one talking. another after that. After I the like canoe it. trip, yeah. Speaking of talking, we'll uh, talk on the last word coming up on Friday. We'll bust out the burning questions. We'll do that on the linebackers. We've done basically every position group up until the linebackers, so we'll do that on Friday. We'll also have a sit-down with Bobby Okereke heading into year number four, heading into a contract year. So we'll talk with him, the linebacker out of Stanford. And our Colts reunion podcast this week features a sit-down with former Colts defensive back Marlon Jackson and all those great memories he had winning a Super Bowl with the Colts. Fantastic play he had in the AFC Championship game to seal the win over Tom Brady and the Patriots and that comeback win at the RCA Dome back in the day. So check that out on the Colts Audio Network. Guys, any uh, parting shots you want to take? 
before we go, condiment. I'm off to find us some more. Condiment or otherwise. <laughs> no, I think we've taken a lot of shots today. I, I, think, I think we're good now. No doubt about it. So that's it for today. We'll be back next Tuesday for another official Colts podcast. We'll talk about the players next week that need more hype. Why are we not talking more about these guys heading into 2022? And we'll also make some bold predictions. So stay tuned for that coming up a week from today as we tape this on Tuesday. Thanks, as always, for rating, reviewing, and subscribing to the podcast. Again, for Casey, Lara, I'm Matt. JJ's back next week. Have a great rest of this week. And we'll talk to you next Tuesday on the official Colts podcast. So long.